let's crack open a beer and share some thoughts. Welcome to Opinions, and we are joined once again by a guest drinker, aren't we, mate? We are indeed, and it's someone who's been on a few times before, Steve. Yes, a, a, a frequent visitor, so to, <laughs> to speak. Welcome to the show, uh, Ruth Mitchell. Welcome back. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for, thanks for coming on with us. Um, let's dive straight into uh, what we've all got in our glasses, because I know we're all drinking something different tonight. So we'll, we'll go with guests first. Um, Ruth, what are you drinking? Um, I am so very on brand for my first year, so I'm drinking Utopian Unfiltered Lager. Fantastic. Which, which we've obviously enjoyed previously on the show, thanks to yourself. Um, it's nice, nice to be able to actually thank you in person. So exactly. You're more than welcome. Thank you very much. Martin, what are you on? Uh, Cheshire Brewhouse Disco Fruit Baby, their Tropical Session IPA. Okay, and I'm also on a um, Cheshire Brewhouse beer. I'm on the Mosaic, which is a single hop extra pal, coming in at uh, a, a nice easy 4% to start us off tonight. Uh, I think the session IPA comes in at that as well, doesn't it? The tropical. Yes, it's fairly fairly low, and I think I think your lager's quite low as well, isn't it, Ruth? Uh, yeah, so I'm on four point seven. Yeah, nice, uh, nice, easy start. So nice, easing my way five, in. Five percent for the disco fruit baby, so I think uh, you know I've gone a little bit higher, but still not too bad for us. No, no, an easy start for us. Yes. Um, so let's uh, let's let's have a drink. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Uh, my one is definitely tropical. It, it is. is, isn't it? I, I had poor. that last night and it's, it is like a tropical fruit juice, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, it does say uh, a little bit of reading on the, on the tasting notes, but it is dry hops with citra, cascade, mosaic and tropical fruits. Um, it feels like there's a shed load in there, to be honest. Yeah, I was getting, um, I was getting like loads of mango and passion fruit on, yeah, on the end of that. Definitely. Um, you get it on the nose straight away as well. Yeah. Um, the nose and the flavour definitely matched up to each other. But still, it's very light, very clear. It's not a hazy tropical beer. Um, it's probably it's nice, but I don't know if it's one I would I would session. It's nice enough, and thank you to Shane for sending it over. Yep. Um, same with the, the the mosaic. Obviously, Shane sent this over to us uh, along with the other beer that we'll be featuring this evening as well. Um, I mean, this is just as as easy as a like this one. This is um, it's it's light, it's crisp, it's um, there's some lovely kind of bitterness at the end there that's just like really dry on on the finish yeah i had it last night um and it was in it was a, quite a welcome beer in between two quads yes i can i can imagine it would have been <laughs> <laughs> but we'll, we'll come we'll come back to that in a second um ruth I'm not not going to ask you to give your professional opinion on your own beer um but um the more eagle-eared listeners of of ours will will realize that this is your third or fourth appearance on the show now and each time you've been on the show you've been working for a different brewery or company yeah do i get a prize for being the fourth appearance is there some kind of crown i get for that unfortunately mr chinnery has probably had a few more total appearances yeah because because you brought him along as 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 the butler (laughs) as the butler yeah i should never have done that no that sort of screwed up the scoring system poor cocktail skills I think this appearance actually puts you probably on par with Matt now. So I'll take that. Yeah. So anyway, w- welcome back. You are now working for Utopian Brewery. Yeah. 
Um, how long how long have you been with them now? Um, so I joined Utopian right at the start of the year, so 2nd of January. Um, so nearly six months, um, if you ignore the fact that for half of that, I haven't been <laughs> doing any work um, because of furloughing and lockdown and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but I still get to drink the beer, so that's, uh, that's a nice bonus. Fantastic. Um, and was it a case of were you were you missing the beer industry is that what because you would you, you were with a gin company previously wasn't you um and now, now you obviously you've come back into beer were, were you were you missing the beer or was it just um too good an opportunity to pass up the the, the utopian role um a little bit of of both to be honest um so the utopian role i was having a chat to Stu from yeasty boys and and they they actually brew some of their beers down at the brewery with us so they they knew utopian before i did um, and so it was a little bit kind of Stu saying, actually, we think this would be a really good thing for you. Um, but to be honest, yeah, main, mainly missing beer. Um, it was really interesting getting to work for a gin company. And actually, to be honest, at that point, I'd got a little in my role previous to that. Things had got a little bit kind of horrible and having a break was a really nice thing. Um, but now I'm very, very happy to be back in beer world. And we are very much happy to have you back. Ah, cheers, love. Um, especially the company the brewery you're with because we've found all their beers to be super smashable oh Good. absolutely yeah yeah and, and, th and that was really important to me i think i have worked for one brewery where perhaps i wasn't as sort of as proud of the beers as i could have been um and having learned from that is now really important that i've like i feel personally i've really got to like the product if i'm going to sell it and going to represent it so um i think the lagers are, are smashing but i'm i'm really really pleased that everyone else seems to like them as well yeah, I think the um, the feedback, both uh, online, the written word, has been very positive, to be honest. And from that virtual tasting, which we did um, with you guys last week, I think it was, or week yeah. or so, two the, weeks. The, the two weeks yeah, two weeks from the time the show goes out. Um, some exciting plans coming up as well that we yeah. learned about some of the beers um, that are coming out. Yeah, it's, there's some really interesting stuff. So we've got quite kind of a small core range, but then want to because um, for people who don't know we only make lager uh, so we want to really um, sort of use the brewery as a platform to kind of do a little bit of lager education and show that it's not just kind of bland and fizzy um, but to be honest I think we're all we're all really really chuffed and almost a little bit overwhelmed that it's this, this tiny brewery in Devon that no one's ever really heard of and, and suddenly everyone really likes the beers and has been buying them and has been supportive and that's been that's been really wonderful so thank you. I think I think one of the things that's really worked in your favour, and, and I've seen a lot of people make this comment on, on on Twitter in the last couple of weeks as well, is that you've you've really embraced the current situation that we find ourselves in in terms of how the breweries got themselves out there on social media. Um, it's it's impossible to almost every time you pick your phone up and go through your timeline, there's there's always something in your timeline from Utopian. Um, very very good at responding to comments on 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 Twitter. And, and some of the, the, the online engagement, like, like obviously Martin said when we did the beer launch review the other week, that was uh, fantastically innovative. You know, it's, it's, it's great to see that, as you say, a small brewery like yourselves have really adapted quickly. And, and as a result, you must have seen yourselves, your, your, your presence and your beers getting out there must have increased massively. Yeah, and the thing that's been really lovely to see is, um, it, obviously I'm, I'm at home, but um, sort of, I'm trying to keep in touch with the brewery as much as possible. And like, we've got orders going out to um, to Wales and to Kent and to kind of to Yorkshire and um, and wonderful people in East Anglia as well. 
Um, so going on with place, and that's really lovely to see. Um, and actually, what's really great is because we are a really small team, we can um, we can we do all kind of know what's going on. Um, Rich, who is our MD, he's in charge of Twitter. So anyone who gets a response, you are kind of talking to the person in charge. Oh wow! Not, I never realised that. No, no I didn't so Rich does all the Twitter stuff. Um, and Micah, who is um, our head brewer, Jeremy's partner, she does all the Instagram. So it's very much kind of, it's a really small team, um, and we're all really pleased with how it's going so far. Um, just one thing, can we start the campaign to have the dark lager as non-seasonal, please? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll do my very best. There is a Vienna lager, which will be out hopefully in um, probably about eight weeks, I think. Um, so that will be not as dark as the dark lager, but it will still have that more kind of caramel and um, kind of roasted malt characteristic. Um, so hopefully that will see you over the summer. Um, but we're also, we've got a lot of dark lager sitting in kegs. Because um, we, we did a kegging run in late February before obviously all of this happened. And um, so we're trying to work out a way to get those into five litre um, kind of mini kegs as well. It's really important that we kind of keep the quality um, of the product there. But if we can if we can do that to a level that we're satisfied with, then they should be available. Um, and I reckon we can post them. What well, could go that, wrong? That'll be interesting. Great news. All over that. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, sorry, listeners, you won't be able to get your hands on any because Martin and I are going to order a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Ruth, that's, that, that's great. And, and as I say, we've, we've been really fortunate that you've, you've sent us some of the beers to try. And I, th- I think we've tried pretty much every beer that you've put out so far as well. Um, uh, yeah, you should have done. Nice. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll make sure you keep, uh, you keep topped up whenever there's something new, don't worry. Oh, lovely. Thank you very much. Thank you. Do, do appreciate it. Do like, do like friends of the show like you, Ruth, <laughs> that, that look after us as, as, as well. Um, let's uh, jump into some news now then. Um, and in our continuing week-on-week discussion about how and when and how and why and are they ever pubs going to reopen uh, again, um, this week's story um, was one that came from uh, the Morning Advertiser uh, originally, and it was uh, the story of... Um, the founder of Piano Works has proposed that the UK's hospitality sector could safely reopen if pubs, bars and restaurants are allowed to serve customers seated on streets and squares after lockdown. Um, under the UK's Ground Out- Outdoor Summer Cafe campaign, Alan Lormier is imploring authorities to relax licensing restrictions and permit hospitality operators to use open spaces outside venues to serve food and drink to customers whilst observing social distancing rules. So what do we think about that one? This, this week, it's, a, it's again, it's another twist in this ongoing story, isn't it? I, I, I'm not that fussed about it, to be honest. Um, I know it's sort of based on uh, what Lith- Lithuania's capital, Vilnius, is trying to do. But we're not really a country of wide pavements and big city squares that we have in the rest of Europe, whether that be continental, Western Europe or, you know, Central Eastern Europe tend to have these lovely squares where you can go. You, you, you can all picture a, Europe, a Europe, European city where you've sat in a square. Um, you know, we don't really have that. And also, do I try, judge it by some of the stuff I've seen on Twitter over the last week or so with some places doing takeouts where people then just stood outside of the pavements? I'm not sure a lot of people can be trusted not to start moving tables and chairs around. I, I think if, if, if there's anything that we've, we've seen particularly in the last week or so, it's that the British public can't be trusted full stop to, to, to behave them, themselves when they're given a little bit of freedom. Um, yeah, the people who, who can't be trusted definitely can't be trusted. 
and the people who can be trusted will take a a wait and see kind of approach i reckon yeah so that that's my view on it Ruth, any anything to add obviously we've we, we have been discussing this for a few weeks in in terms of how potentially places can reopen and some of the measures that that, that can be introduced um have, have you got any particular thoughts or either on this story or on or on the wider subject of, of reopening um yeah i think on this i think so. I, I completely understand that that pubs and bars are just desperate to be able to open and get some kind of money in um i think there's a lot of kind of concern about how that happens and from the sounds of this it sounds like a little bit of a a short-term approach that could be really expensive people to implement um and potentially what we'll have like another two months of nice weather and then it'll be crappy and raining and and the whole system will kind of fall apart again um so i think we need to really focus on a slightly more long-term more sustainable way of doing things as we're not really known as a country with long sunny days guaranteed all of the time yeah the ability for our fresco drinking isn't yeah. exactly there um, is it um but i also i, I completely agree with like the people not being trusted thing and it's it's brilliant at the moment you're seeing pubs kind of opening up and doing pints to take away and that's it's wonderful because that's keeping breweries going and um, it's meaning that like some cask breweries are keeping going as well which is wonderful and it's obviously bringing income into those pubs um but if they're then kind of operating kind of an impromptu beer garden that won't help to solve the problem in a long-term sustainable way yeah. What about at the um, at the brewery? Do you have a do you have a tap room, a tap space there at, at the moment, or is it just is it just like brew house right now? No, we're production only at the moment. Um, the plan was this year to kind of bring in a visitor centre. Um, we've got a lovely mezzanine level up above the brewery, so the, we wanted to have a bar up there so you can kind of sit above the brewery looking down. Um, all of those plans have been completely um, completely kind of put on hold um, until this situation has. Um, I don't think anyone kind of seems it kind of entirely resolving anytime soon, but at least until there's some real kind of clear guidance on what needs to happen. Um, I think there are some pubs that potentially, if you could just drink in beer gardens, it would be it would be great. Um, but I think you also have to bear in mind that if you're unfurloughing staff, then business is taking on that cost, um, and they then have to pay those staff and pay the wages regardless of whether people can drink in those spaces or not. So it's quite a risky strategy because you could take, if you're a big country pub with a big beer garden, you could take back potentially 20 or 30 staff, unfurlow them all and commit to paying them. And then it rains for two weeks um, and suddenly you're in a really tricky financial situation. No. Um, and I would say I, in any situation, if you want us to behave safely, um, if you then add in four or five pints, then... <laughs> It, it all gets a little bit a little bit muddly yes um, well we saw that ve day yeah so exactly. you know the proof is it the proof is in the pudding and i agree with you ruth i think it's good that suggestions have been brought to the table you know i'd class it almost like a, a brainstorming session you might do in some company everyone just throws everything at a, a whiteboard and see what comes out of it but this one for me would see i think it's maybe maybe been guided by the fact that we've been quite lucky with the weather over yeah. the last two months or so but during this period we've actually been able to go outside sit outside it's actually been quite unseasonably warm even if not always sunny for large parts of the country as, as i say i think it's one that we're going to just keep revisiting isn't it and i i think there's you know every week we'll just be discussing this and seeing what the latest news stories are in in, in this i know i know martin you've normally been giving us an update from your conversations with, with your brother who's in Germany and I know you've not had a chance to talk to him yet this week so we'll, we'll look forward to the, uh, the, the update from our German correspondent next week.
Now, the next news story um, was probably kind of the, the, the big one that this week. That um, I don't know if it came out of nowhere. Some people suggesting that maybe this has been on the cards for a, for a while. It was expected. Um, but it was the story that Carlsberg have bought Marsdens. Um, now, you've done all the research on, on this one, mate, because I think when we spoke about it this morning, it was still very much after last night. And I was like... <laughs> I can't read anything right right now. So um, this this one's down to you. So to, to give us the lowdown on what's happened here. Okay, so just the uh, the headline. So we now have the Carlsberg Marston's Brewing Company. So Carlsberg owns 60% of the brewing side of the business and Marston's own 40%, as well as there being a cash injection, um, which I think played a large part of this, this transaction. Now obviously, Marston's have... 1600 pubs which Carlsberg now have access to the lines in those pubs which could be beneficial to companies such as Brooklyn Lager given their distribution deal with Carlsberg UK. Um, 11 other breweries are owned by Marston's including Witchwood, Jennings, Ringwood to name a few who you know quite historical regional brewers and will be much loved by many people I imagine. Um, the brewery business is part of the, is the main part of the deal. The pub business itself is, and it, as I said, they'll get access to the hun, the hundred, the sixteen hundred lines in the or sixteen hundred pubs. Um, interestingly, um, from the few bits I've read, there was a very excellent article in Good Beer Hunting from Johnny Garrett, uh, but also contributed uh, by John West. So both people have been on the show in the past. Um, it, it seems to have been largely about Marston's debt burden, which I think may have been why some people inside uh, the beer industry may have seen this one coming, even if they didn't know the exact details. Mart Marston's have been struggling to service their debt, like a lot of the pub, co pub companies for a while now. 1.39 million billion of debt. So even just the interest payments on that amount of debt is going to be burdensome. And then when you think that their income over the last two to three months would have dropped considerably through the pub business, um, I can imagine that it w this was a very attractive transaction that Carlsberg brought to the table. Um, just a couple of other interesting points to note. Obviously, it's the third regional brewer that's been brought up in the last year and a half after Fuller's and Green King. But also, Marston's are still currently uh, charging the full rent to their landlords as well. I think they're one of the, the big brewers who haven't given the, uh, the landlords any respite at all. If I've read the article correctly, if, if I'm wrong, please correct me. Um, so yeah, uh, Marston's haven't had the best PR in the last couple of years because they obviously had that 72 pint uh, fit scandal as well with the pubs adjudicator where they didn't have in, in as much beer in the casks which they were selling to their tenants as they, uh, as they said they had. And that also led to incorrect uh, rent being charged because of the amount of cask. So it's an interesting story. I think for our listeners, I think there's probably a lot of people who will be a bit meh about it. But I, you know, if I still see a pint of availability of a pint of pedigree, for example, and it's in a good place, served well, I still think it's a, a one of those pints of beer that deserves that little bit of respect, along with maybe say Fuller's London Pride. Um, but like I said, for me, it was if I if I go to my day job, this is all about Marston's trying to service their debt and Carlsberg have seen an opportunity. And uh, I think it's an excellent deal for Carlsberg. I think it's an okay deal for Marston's. Uh, whether it's an okay deal for the industry as a whole is another matter though. 
Yeah, I, I think it was it was interesting. That there's a couple of things here. So obviously, straight away, um, Brewdog jumped on it and pointed out that they're now the UK's largest independent brewery. Which uh, I wasn't going to mention that. <laughs> which got them quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of trolling, I think, as a, as a result of that statement, particularly around the fact that they sold 22% of their business a couple of years ago, so they're not completely independent. Um, and and the other the other thing for me is is this actually gives Carlsberg access to an awful lot of brands, does doesn't it? Because Marsdens themselves own the likes of. I mean, the two that spring to mind are Ringwood and Witchwood, who both come under the Marsdens branding, don't they? Um, yeah, and I know there are a lot of others as well. So all of a sudden, Carlsberg now have this massive footprint in, in, in UK traditional owl brands. Yeah, although I will be honest, when I was reading that bit, I was thinking... There are some Marston's pubs where I actually don't want any of the beers I've got available at the time. So a pint of Brooklyn Lager, I'd probably take. But, you know, again, I can see that this does tie up a lot of, a lot of pumps. Um, what, as someone who's in the beer industry, Ruth, what do you think? Um, I thought it was really interesting. Um, it, was, it didn't seem like a very natural sort of partnership to me. Um, I think, as you said, it seems like a, a really good deal for Carlsberg and potentially a deal for Marston's that was born out of necessity rather than something that was kind of uh, a long time in the planning. Um, It's interesting. So when you talk about kind of giving them access to to kind of brands, um, there's there's two sides to that. So the first thing is Marston's have obviously got a pub estate um, of managed and tenanted pubs and into that estate they'll sell um, the Marston's portfolio, which includes them and... Uh, Jennings and Charlie Wells and all the people you've you've mentioned um, but there are also so other brands in there as well um, now off the top of my head I think they normally could prefer Heineken portfolio products um, so obviously there's quite a big game for Carlsberg to be had there um, but then there's also the the other side of it which is sort of going into those other breweries is Marston's have got a free trade sales force all over the country. So anywhere you are, if you are an independent free trade pub, you can get beer delivered on a lorry, which is ultimately owned by Marston's. Um, and again, into those pubs, they'll sell a portfolio of their own products. But again, they'll sell third party things as well. And they would normally be Heineken things. Um, so actually, it's like every cask of, um, of Heineken is suddenly going to be swapped over for kind of the Carlsberg of um, equivalent so there's quite a lot of gain for them to be had um and it actually if i was if i was kind of working for for heineken or cause i'd be feeling quite edgy because it gives them a massive advantage as kind of this brewing like big brewing giant now it's interesting i didn't realize that they had um such a close tie up with heineken no i didn't realize that I, I, I might fact check that for you um but certainly when i worked for, for charles wells that was the case um, and you've got to think Marston's supply some really big pub companies as well. So they supply the Young's um, pub estate because they supply them with, um, obviously, the Young's beers. Which is the Charles um, Well tie-up, isn't it? Yeah, that's Charles Well's tie-up. And it's, it's essentially family brewers buying family brewers over and over again. And you have to kind of keep track of where all the brands end up. Um, but however many pubs Young's have got, they obviously supply all of them. Um, but they will also buy from other people. So there's... Um, 
it's going to be really interesting interesting to see how it plays out i think i mean that is a good i mean it's a good point so you've got this 1600 pubs which cards were guaranteed access to yeah plus there's also potential access to a large swathe of other pubs then that marston's already service and it actually it gives them a really a really kind of compelling argument to have full supply of um of that bar and, and that's ultimately if you work for a big brewery as a salesperson that's what you're after you want to supply the guinness and the lager and the real ale and and the wines and spirits as well and actually if they can offer the carlsberg portfolio and the marston's portfolio and um what do marston's import founders they bring in um and they'll have kirin they'll have loads of different brands and um, that can all come on one lorry so it, it gives them suddenly this really um really interesting angle um, and also by combining those two big breweries then you're making um, cost savings in terms of brewing so they can potentially I mean they're both pretty cheap anyway but you could potentially see some savings there um, for me the, my, the main concern because I have friends that work there is if you go about combining sales forces and marketing forces and distribution and everything else then um, there will be job losses along the way which at this particular moment in time is particularly crappy yeah i mean that's a that's one the saying which came out this the uh the article they're looking at 24 million pounds worth of savings and i haven't said over what period yeah. which given that people are generally the highest um overhead for any company in any business you can definitely see that and at the moment they've also said they're not planning on closing any breweries so the synergies you've described roof would take would appear to be maybe what people might be people. thinking about um and then yeah like you say uh shitty at any time but given the current environment you know a bit of a double whammy that one so you know fingers crossed for everyone involved that they're not you know hampered and uh and and have a bad bad effect on them but it's hard to see how you can get 24 million pounds of saving and not have any job losses I suppose only time will tell with, with this one, and it's, it's it's one that we'll keep an eye on and, and keep checking back in on as, as as more information comes out about it. Now, um, we've mentioned it a couple of times, so looking back over what we've been doing this this last week, uh, as we recall today on Sunday, last night was our second fantasy pub crawl live event on on online. Um, we did four sessions. Uh, again and um it's probably fair to say that certainly i ended up in the similar sort of state at the end of it to, to what Basically, i did the last time we ended everyone ended up in the same place we ended up with a long session at the end and from what i can gather from a few people who were still on there they were on there till after one o'clock yeah it, um, went, it went quite late again yeah. yeah so but you know it was incredibly good fun uh we sort of went a bit more european encouraged people to use pictures and their zoom backgrounds which you know related to a place that they'd been to much loved uh Berlo in berlin came up a few times that came up loads didn't yeah. it that, um, I, think, I think if we were scoring that would have been a clear winner last night yeah although stone berlin got a bit of love as well you know yeah. obviously stone berlin pre brewdog uh bastardization i think was the phrase used more than once last night um but yeah it was really good fun people sort of just uh you know just chatting to be honest you know listeners people who engage with us on twitter it was good fun and yeah it's surprising about six hours which is roughly how long we were there for steve can go quite so quickly when you're just sitting down chatting through a screen 
It's drinking beers, and I tell you what, it took me bloody ages to check them in on Untapped today. <laughs> well, I was I was quite surprised when I got up this morning because as, as as I did last time, I had planned my beers for the evening. I was going to do two beers during each session, both kind of themed to the bars and the places where I was. And and then I got up this morning, and there was a bonus can of Rooster's Baby-Faced Assassin and a bonus can of Jaipur as as well, which <laughs> I was like, okay, well, where where did I go to have those? <laughs> I think it just, uh, it just what I said, it just carried on again, you know, but it was, it was good fun. Um, and I don't, you know, it's not going to be our last one, is it, Steve? It's, it's not, no. So, um, firstly, we are very, very grateful to everybody that came uh, along and joined us for one of the four sessions. Um, again, they were fairly short sessions. We kept them to 50 minutes so that we could get as many people through as, as possible. But we've done it twice now, and we are approaching the date that would have been the, the, the summer sesh in, in Birmingham. Um, and we thought, well, you know what, let's do it again because we haven't done it enough already. So on, on the 6th of June, we are running the Somerset Jukebox. Um, this time there's going to be two sessions. So we're going to do two two-hour sessions and we're going to have a few more people in on each session to, to, to see how we can manage that. So there's a session at six o'clock. There's a session at half past eight. Um, the event bookings are now live in, in the show notes. So click on whichever session you, you want to come along to. The, the, the password to access them is Govinda. But you can join us. And this time the, the theme is going to be around your favorite music, um, songs, albums, festivals, gigs, music that evokes certain memories. And what we're going to ask every one of you to do is once you've signed up to the session, Drop us a DM and tell us your two favourite tracks of all time. We're then going to put those onto a Spotify playlist and we're going to have a playlist for each session that we'll be playing in the background while we're enjoying our beers. So, um, and we're just going to try and make it a little bit interactive that way this time. Again, we're going to encourage use of backgrounds and all that sort of thing, but we think we're getting pretty good at this online hosting shit now. So let's, let's, let's do it again. Oh, how, how, how to crash and burn by saying that sentence. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably, actually. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, it should be good fun. Um, again, we want to do it as a bit of a jukebox thing, so it won't be, you know, it won't be blaring out through everyone's earphones and speakers. Um, and if anyone tries to uh, compete with the jukebox run by Steve and myself, we'll just mute you. Let's get some final thoughts on the, the first beer that we're, that we're all drinking. I'm almost at the end of mine. Everybody else has got empty glasses from, from, from what I could see. Um, so, so, Ruth, how was your, how was your lager? Uh, yeah, it was really lovely. Um, so I, had the, I said the unfiltered version, which has been my kind of uh, my go-to beer now the dark lager isn't available. Um, it's got a really lovely kind of lemon flavour from some of the residual yeast. So um, I'm probably drinking far too much of it is... Uh, <laughs> uh, but it was great thank you as, as long as you're doing the exercise to balance it out as long as you're doing your government steps exercise, every yeah. day must be completed before any alcohol is allowed you've got to get your beer points haven't you yeah. you've <laughs> got to build your beer points up that's that's it um martin how was the disco fruit baby i mean to be fair it was exactly as described it was a tropical it was a very tropical beer um too tropical for me if i'm being honest um i enjoyed it a 440 can was probably a bit too much for me. I probably could have done with that one being a 330, if I'm being honest, as I was having it on my own. Bit hard work as it started to warm up. Not because anything wrong with it, but just because it's too tropical for what I'm looking for from an actual beer style. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I found the same. I, I drank mine pretty quickly last night. Uh, it was one of the sort of earlier on, earlier beers that I did. Um, but I did try to keep it more on the colder side because, as you say, the minute those kind of tropical fruity notes start warming up, it gets a bit sugary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. It wasn't like a full-on haze juice bomb or anything like that. So that's it. It was still clear. It was still crisp. It was still clean. But... For me, I would have had, for my personal taste buds and my personal, what I like on the aroma, I would have dialed it down a little bit on, yeah. the, on the tropical fruits. And your final thoughts on the mosaic then, Steve? Uh, yeah, I really liked it, actually. It's got a really, really kind of that dry bitterness at, at the end. Um, kind of a very, very kind of earthy bitterness. It just works really well for me. Um, it hangs around for a while as, as, as well. Um, really, really easy to drink. And like I say, at 4%, that, that could be an absolute summer smasher, that one. Time to move on to uh, beer number two. Yes. So for, yeah, we're excited about this. So for you and us, mate, that means um, we are moving on to the Cheshire Brewhouse's latest version of Govinda, the 1843 Heritage English IPA Chevalier Edition. Um, Ruth, what, what are you on there? Uh, so I am just opening a can of Real Fiction. Uh, which is a Yeasty Boys and Blackjack collaboration. So I'm staying on the lager theme. Uh, this is a Pecan Pilsner. Um, I have to say it's probably not something I normally go for, but this was um, a really kind gift from the guys at Yeasty Boys. They sent it in my kind of Rex mates box um, after the, the Rex night last week. So um, I thought I'd give it a go. It'd be interesting to see what that one's like then, Ruth. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, has, it did come with a little kind of warning label that says uh, this is a bit more of a yeasty boy than we were intending. Uh, store upright and pour, ooh, pour smoothly to leave any segment in the can. Um, but it's, it's got a little bit of haste to it, but nothing, nothing kind of bonkers. Okay. Um, and what there is a peak, according to the ingredients, the, the pecan aspect comes from pecan wood chips. So um, I'd assume they've, they've added those at some point during the fermentation rather than actually adding like pecan nuts themselves. Mm. Are we ready to dive into our beers? I, I, I think we are. In, indeed, I am very much looking forward to this. Cheers. Cheers. Everyone. Cheers. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. There's, um, there's a real earthiness to it in the flavour initially as well, isn't there? Yeah. On the, on the palate. Very dry. A, a big dry bit of finish. On, yeah. On that. Loads, loads of like toffee and caramel going on yeah talk, in toffee there. and caramel straight away then there's sort of a hint of stone fruits sort of running through it as well but yeah definitely the 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 mouthfeel the texture is absolutely delicious and yeah i, I think the one thing that i perhaps i'm lacking at the moment from this versus when we tried it from the bottles before and the subsequent ones i bought was um there was a bit of an i remember a bit of orangey before mm. i think we had a bit of an, an orange note going through it previously um, but maybe that will come as the uh, get into the beer a bit more. Yeah, but just just on that first taste, uh, I mean, yeah, it's it's got ev everything that you want. I mean, that's that's not an IPA like many people would expect an IPA to taste. Um, no, these days. No, which I think we you know we we waxed lyrical about that previously, Steve. When we we probably a couple of years ago now, when we first tried uh, Shane's Heritage beers with the the, the Govinda. Um, but I'm pretty glad that as well as, again, Shane sending us through these beers, I'm glad I purchased the same again. Yeah, I did. I went, I went nuts and got a load of Govinda 
Um, yeah, I've gone Govinda and Gibraltar Porter. <laughs> yeah. And, and I've, I've actually got another one in the fridge that's probably going to um, be a post-show beer to, tonight as, as well. <laughs> Um, it's exactly the same thing. Yeah, I was I was hopeful that it'd be really tasty. Um, Ruth, how's that pecan pilsner? It's bloody delicious, to be honest. And um, I, I hate to say I'm surprised when I really like a beer, but to us, it's not one I probably would have kind of picked off the shelf if I was going to buy it. But it's absolutely lovely. Um, for me, there's not loads of not loads of kind of nuttiness going on. There's a little bit on the aroma, um, kind of like a I guess pecany, but kind of almost like hazelnut and almond. Um, but there's loads of kind of like blackcurrant and a little bit of kind of peach aroma and flavour going on. Um, it's a cracker. Very. I'm. I'm really. I'm so happily surprised. It's. Uh, it's a real treat. <laughs> yeah, your face actually says it all. Um, people yeah. won't be able to obviously see your smiley face on 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 the podcast, but you have got the happiest of faces on right right now as you're drinking your beer. So while we're enjoying these, uh, let's get into this week's question. Opinions, 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 opinions. Which stand on a theme is about heritage beers. And we were asking, in your view, what class is a beer as heritage? So uh, we had 385 votes, 15.1% um, of people going for ingredients, 574 going for process. 23.1 going for recipe and 4.4% going for branding. Now, obviously, we asked that question because we knew we'd be drinking a heritage beer tonight. So let's see what some of the feedback was that we got from this. So first up from your boy, Rob Edwards, at Rob underscore Edwards 90. I voted recipe. I think ingredients and processes are also important, but they, they could also come under the banner of recipe. Branding is just branding. From Simon Dewhurst at Simo Sloth. First instinct for me is recipe. When I think of heritage beer, I think the old ledgers written up by the brewers of yesteryear detailing the exact recipes. Brewers like Harvey's, Green King and Fuller's are just a few examples of brewers who still use these when brewing today. From Miles Lambert, at Miles Lambert, I'd say it's about an era. It's about the style. It can be about the ingredients. It can be about the processes. It's about referencing something historic and not simply modern styles, processes or ingredients. It's about paying respect to our past. I've got no idea where he voted, but that's that's Miles' comments. Uh, for very Robert, poetic from Miles, really that was. Poetic. Yeah, he, it was. He read it like in a very solemn and, and a very lovely way. Yes, as 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 you'd expect from the uh, the tall fella. Uh, from Robert Ebsworth at Slippers Robert. Without historical recipes, you can't have ingredients and process processes. They follow from the recipe. Branding changes over time, so you can only compare the branding of each product. From Mark Thorpe at Longhead23, impossible to vote. Heritage can mean any and all of the options. It's all about history for me. They all have a heritage, some longer and more interesting than others. If you take Guinness as an example, the ingredients, recipe, process and branding all have heritage. Which segues quite nicely into the comment from Andy Temple at Chef Temple. It's all just marketing. Everything's heritage unless it's made in a lab. I'll tell you one heritage beer, Guinness, because it's old as hell and amazing. Not sitting on the fence there at all. No. Um, from Lackbeer Bassey at Lackbeer Bassey, I put process, which I think is more than a series of routine tasks. It includes quality of ingredients, where they're sourced, the brewery's location. Think how the water in Burton on Trent differs from water in London. Heritage is not compromising on any aspect of the process. From Beer Seller Exeter, at Beer Seller X, 
sadly, any days, these days, any beer which gets brewed more than once. And then finally, and we were expecting this one, um, in a series of tweets from Steve at Beer Nouveau. Shocker. Uh, bear with me here. <laughs> All but the last one. None of these on their own make for a heritage beer, but just for a marketing ploy. You can take heritage ingredients, but use them for modern styles. Let's face it, most things brewed with Kvik outside Norway ranked heritage. Even using basic Chevalier only goes so far. The recipe itself is just that, a recipe. Without using the right ingredients, it's nothing more than a reboot, about as similar to the original as the Kelvin timeline Star Trek films are to the Shatner days. Both great, but totally different. The process is a tricky one because we assume so much, we often get it wrong. IPA took 18 months to ship over to India. No, it sat in brewery yards for 12 months first and then six months to ship. As for branding, most multinational beer corporations own the rights to an old name and they trade upon that. But the beer they sell under that brand is nothing like the beer that built that brand. And this isn't a hill I'll die on, it's one I'll kill you on. I'm frightened by, by that last <laughs> statement, frankly. <laughs> Um, I mean, we know Steve has a, a has a passion for heritage brewing, and we we know there's that there are some beers tucked away in his barrels that, at some point, we will hopefully get to taste. Yes, invested in them. Um, but that's that, that's some quite interesting comments there. I mean, obviously, a lot of people leaning more towards the the, the process and, and 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 the recipe more than anything else. Um, but I think I think we are seeing certainly in the last few years that the term heritage is, is being banded around quite a lot, isn't it, to try and sell beer? I think a lot of things it's used for. I mean, even brand, big brands like Coca-Cola often play on their heritage with the bottles, the design of the labels. Heritage brings authenticity for a lot of people. Um, and that's why I think the branding probably got so many, so few votes because people can see that branding is probably the easiest thing to make to look it, make it look historical, make it look old, make it look authentic. Um, it probably is a combination of the other three recipes, process, um, that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, Steve's comments, you know, they're, they're, I think they're very good. I, I'm quite happy with his Star Trek uh, analogy being thrown in there as well. So if I had to sit on it, it would be everything other than branding. It's trying to recreate as close as possible even if you don't know exactly. And I think Shane spoke about this previously uh, when he talked about Govinda. They are trying to recreate these, these recipes, but you can't necessarily do everything. But even if you look at the way a brewery is set up these days, compared to a brewery from 100, 200 years ago, there's going to be massive differences just in, in those respects. But I, I do like it when I drink some of the beers that Steve's produced because I do, tr I do trust that he's producing a beer that he believes is as close to the original as possible. Mm -hmm. The same with uh, the Govinda the from Cheshire Brewhouse, what we're drinking now, Steve, but also, you know, like the Gibraltar Porter, which again comes under his um, Founders Reserve Heritage uh, branding. So yeah, I, I think it's everything. I think it's a whole combination. Even those Green King beers we tried, I, I, we, I think we both bought them I, I believe that they are the recipes from yesteryear that they were trying to do, but I think they played a lot on the branding as well, and it's Green King, so it probably put a lot of people off. But I actually thought they were both better than Green King IPA is these days. So there is a lot to be said for it. The Fuller's beers, I've always enjoyed. when they've, they, 
uh, dipped back into their recipe books. And again, it, it's try. Hopefully, you trust these breweries to have been as authentic as possible when they're replicating these recipes from days gone by. Mm. And that's what I try and do. And I try to keep an open mind. And ultimately, I'm also looking for still a beer that I enjoy. I don't want them recreating shit. Yeah, and I think you mentioned it there about obviously Shane's approach to this. And I think one of the things that Shane said is that his his view or the view of the Cheshire Brewhouse on heritage is that his his definition of it, so to speak, is that they're celebrating the British heritage of beer um, and that beers that have maybe been forgotten about. And by digging into the past, they're able to do their best to recreate a modern equivalent of, of the beer that was brewed back then. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think everyone has a slightly different take, maybe, but I still think they're they're actually still aiming to recreate something that either uses the historical ingredients or the end product is a historical, rep, uh, historical uh, version, uh, a modern version of historical beer. So, but again, and I'm sure, but I'm sure again, inside and outside the beer world, heritage is a good marketing strategy as well. Yeah. So on this, um, I voted for for a recipe for me then heritage is is either a beer that a brewery has been making a really long time so several people said about guinness um or things like um like tally ho from adnams would be a really good example or people who are, are going back through recipe books either breweries like i guess like St. Austell would be a good example who've got a really long brewing history who have got access to, to their records from from kind of last century or two centuries ago and using those as inspiration I was also thinking um, as you guys were chatting about what we said about Marston's and kind of the brands that they have ownership of. And actually they've got um, kind of guardianship of, of recipes from some actually like amazing breweries that probably go back uh, hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, so I had a quick look and they've obviously got Marston's, they've also got Banks and Jennings, Ringwood that we mentioned, Witchwood, uh, Breaksphere, Mansfield Brewery, um, Wainwright's is theirs, Lancaster Bomber is theirs, um, Bomb Deer Brands, Youngs and McEwen. So there's there's loads of of beers. Actually, once upon a time would have been these kind of these amazing kind of cherished recipes. And it'll be interesting to see what they do with them. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure whether we're going to see a, a whole host of th- them coming back. I mean, we are. I doubt it somehow. <laughs> we, we are obviously seeing, like, like I say, there is a little bit of a, a resurgence in the, the idea of a heritage brand. Um, but as, as always, I mean, there were there were loads of comments um, on on this one, and um, if you do want to have a read through them all, there's a, there's a link in the show notes to the question. Click on that link; you can have a look at all the answers. Uh, if you still want to get involved in this discussion, use the hashtag opinions, and you'll find yourself in this next part of the show. Let us know. Write it down. Let us know. Write it down. Let us know your thoughts and bitter in lingerness. Write it down. First up from Simon Webster at Bees Boy. Interesting chat about social media on episode 112 of Opinions. I find many of the craft breweries that you love, like Thornbridge, use Instagram brilliantly to announce new beers, which I then switch to Twitter to see being discussed. From your boy Rob Edwards at Rob underscore Edwards 90, another entertaining show from my boys. Looking forward to the European edition of the Fantasy Pub Call this weekend. From Beer O'Clock Brewing, great show, guys. In my experience, associated beers are very mediocre. For example, Trooper and Stormtrooper. Reminds me of when they make films out of video games. Always a disappointment. I love Maiden, but not enough to buy their beer for the sake of it. Uh, from I love Sabro Hops at Discombobulated. I really Better love 
better name. Yes, thank you. Significant, but yes, I, I know he wants me to read it out, but I'm just going to keep avoiding reading out. I love Sabro Hops. Yeah, I know you are. I think you've placed it, so it's one for me to read anyway. Absolutely. I, I really love the pace of the shorter format. I know it won't last, but it's all the bits you like while being the perfect length for a government-mandated walk. We do our best. Uh, from Adam Johnson at Maybe Not a Fad, listening to Martin talk about Liverpool Football Club Associated Beers, they have a uh, Liverpool Heritage Owl brewed by Four Tees Brewery that is sold exclusively in the Boot Room Cafe and in the Sweets Anfield. Also, Top Rope Brewing Beers are 90% wrestling fiends. Hashtag all roads lead to Liverpool. And then finally from Irish Beer Snob at Irish Beer Snob. Cheers for the mention, lads. Kept me company again this morning. Couple of thoughts. Number one, FOMO Repondera is real, as is the Utopia beers. And number two, most associations are a gimmick in my opinion, but Trooper is fun and it works. Well, thank you very much, everyone. Some good comments there. Some, some great comments this week. I'm still really, really enjoying the, the, the Govinda. Uh, and it would be um, remiss of us to to not just talk about the beer uh, a little bit and some of the some of the work that has gone into to, to producing this from from Shane at Cheshire Brewhouse. Well, yeah, he's, he's put a lot of effort into doing this, and I was just looking at my old notes as well for um, the because we had, we've tried two Govindas before, haven't we, Steve? We've tried the Chevalier Malt, which is the one we've got now, plus the uh, Plumage Archer. Yes, yeah. And I think the plumage archer just edged it for me a little bit. And I think maybe that's where the orangey notes came from, which I was talking about. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, just on the beer I'm drinking right now, the earthiness, the dryness and the bitterness, I have to admit I'm loving. And I think it's quite a high IBU beer, isn't it? It's over, is it over 100? I think, I think so, yeah. 100 IBUs. Um, but yeah, the, the, the stone fruits notes as well as some of the sweetness like the toffee and caramel that you may associate with a lot of uh, cast cast beers is definitely there but it's it's so well balanced there's a great video um that shane's done uh, all about heritage and govinda uh, we're going to link that through in the show notes so you can watch it it's about 10 minutes long uh starts off with a wonderful little song from shane as as, as well so it is that's a bit of a shock uh, to be honest yeah, <laughs> it's, it's got a really good voice hasn't he it's got a really good singing voice so that's that's well worth 10 minutes of your time but um just a few things that that we pulled out of that that video particularly about this beer um so it is brewed with the chevalier barley um which is classed as uh, a land race type of barley, which means it's naturally germinating. Um, first discovered in 1822 uh, by a farm worker who worked for the Reverend Chevalier. Uh, and it's now, and at that time it was used all over the world uh, in, in brewing. Um, this beer itself, like most beers probably should have, it's only got four ingredients in it. So it's got um, water to which they've added gypsum and magnesium sulfite to burtonize the water. So so it gives it a specific profile. Um, It's got the Chevalier barley uh, and it's got Golden's hops in it as well. Pure, just Golden's hops. That's the only hop that's used in it. And then they've got their own Cheshire Brewhouse uh, brewery strain of yeast, which is is quite an old yeast and it's unique to the Cheshire Brewhouse as as well. And that's that's the only ingredients that, that, that go into making this beer. Which, again, I think just A, shows the, the quality of Shane's work as a brewer. And he, he, you know, he worked for a big brewery before. And I'm, presu- I'm going to go, he worked for a big brewery in maybe the Burton area. 
so he obviously knows his trade. Um, I tell you what has I think surprised me maybe a little bit over the last two or three months. He's he's also embraced the situation we're in, you know, with the rebrand, the beers into four forty cans, moving away for the five hundred milliliter bottles, the range of beers he's been bringing out as well, his use of social media as well. So while he may have um, he may look back into the archives for his inspiration. He's, he's definitely 21st century for a lot of aspects of what he's doing. So Absolutely. for me, it becomes a bit of a perfect marriage. Um, the, the quality of the beers are excellent. I mean, it's, I, think, I think it's a great point you make there. It would have been, and I think a lot of people have probably dismissed Cheshire Brewhouse beers in the, in, in the past because they've been in 500ml bottles. They've had very traditional labels, uh, very traditional styles on that labels. What, what, what Shane's done is he's put his beers in cans, he's, he's just changed, he's, he's brought a new lease of life to, to, to the beers by putting them in cans with new artwork, new branding. Um, again, probably, probably the similar range to what he was producing before uh, and a few kind of experimental bits as well, but he's now got this incredible range of beer. And I've, I've said uh, on a number of occasions, and I'll happily say it again publicly, I, I think it's um, some of these beers are, are as close to cask beer in a can as you're going to get uh, at the moment. And if that's the sort of thing that you're looking for, then, then absolutely give, give Shane's beers a try. Completely agree. It's, it is a lot of the beers are cask in a can. Yeah. Without a doubt. And obviously, I'm not sure I've mentioned it, but we are we, we were sent these beers uh, by Shane to try on the show. So we are very, very grateful for, for that, as always. Um, but we did also top up what he was sending us with orders of our own, mostly containing Govinda. We're just about ready to go around and do um, some final thoughts on, on, on the last beer that, that we're drinking. So, so Ruth, we'll, we'll start with you because you've got very little left in your glass there. Um, how has that pecan pilsner gone down? Yeah, absolutely delicious. Um, I have to say I don't get very much to the pecan, but in terms of a really lovely pilsner that's got a good whack of hop flavour, it's great. Um, but actually, I was more interested in what you guys were saying, and I think I need to place an order for uh, some Govinda stuff. <laughs> you absolutely should. I think I think you'd love it. I, I I think you'd absolutely love it. So, any final thoughts on the Govinda from yourself, mate? Nothing to add from what I said, mate. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm looking forward to having a second one later once we finish the recording. Um, I hope he brings out the, uh, the plumage archer, if he can, as well in cans, because I'll snap that up as well. Yeah, I've not, I've not got really much else to add uh, other than I'm loving it. It's, it's going down really nice. It's beautiful, thick body, loads of, loads of toffee and caramel, and then it's got that lovely, lasting, earthy, dry, bitter finish that just goes on and on and on in the mouth. Um, this is an IPA. As, as, as far as I'm concerned. Don't give me any of that hazy shit. This is an IPA, uh, and this is the sort of IPA I want to be drinking. Um, you just had to get something in which had the words hazy shit, didn't you, Steve? Obviously, of, of, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, we don't know what we're doing on the next show yet, do we? It's been nope. a wonderful feast at the moment, so we can't tell you what's coming up next week. Um, all that's left for us to say is, Ruth, thank you uh, so much for joining us tonight as our oh, guest drinker. Thank it you is, for inviting me. It's always a pleasure to have you on with us. Uh, and Martin, we'll be back again uh, next week to enjoy some more beers. Definitely. Cheers, everyone. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Cool.